0: This is the Humboldt Chronicles.
1: I am the queen of everything. Gotta be high before I can sway.
0: Lighter T L Let it be
2: if you a viper.
0: I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask and Comet the Radio Dog. The Humboldt Chronicles is made possible by Goat Global Humboldt, Humboldt Urban Market, and Mocha Humboldt. Much appreciation for your support of the Humboldt Chronicles. Well, here's where we begin. Unease, uncertainty, and anxiety have been the themes recently in the local cannabis industry. High taxes, overproduction, heavy regulation, and difficulty of doing business have made it hard to see the future in anything but a fuzzy focus.
1: Cultivators, small farmers generally are struggling more than most for the reasons we've outlined on the Chronicles over the last several months. For this edition of the Chronicles, we wanted to check in with one of the largest operators in the cannabis industry, Papa and Barkley. They could have located their business anywhere, but they chose Humboldt County. We talked to them several years ago when they first moved here, and given the current strains on the cannabis industry, now seems like a good time to pick up our conversation again. First, do they plan to stay in Humboldt? We asked co-founder and CEO Guy Rocourt at his office in Eureka.
0: Just listening to you uh, over this last half hour or so, it sounds like you and the company are still committed to remaining located here in Humboldt County for the long term. Is that right?
2: Yeah. Again, I'm. I feel blessed, and I. I and even now, I, I don't feel that. I have personally the right to just call myself a full community member. I mean, I just moved my family here, yes I've been building the business, but I am committed to and want to gain acceptance and, 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 and pay it forward to, to be involved in this community because like I said earlier, I do believe that this is cannabis country, right? It is part of the heritage here, like it or not, bad or good, it happened. Lots of cannabis. Some people say over 60% of cannabis has been grown in the Pacific Northwest. That includes Southern Oregon, us, Mendo, Trinity, right? So it's our legacy. It's already there. Like, we don't, there's no reason to unchange the history. I think all there is to do is look at it, learn, understand from mistakes, and embrace it, right? And so to that end, yes, Humboldt is a cannabis capital. And I am proud to create great cannabis products from here. And I can't think of another place in the world that i think would meet the quality standards in terms of just the the vibe and the and the and the reason for creating quality cannabis like humboldt like there are other places like you know where i went to school in the finger lakes in new york they'll probably grow great cannabis people talk about spain and how awesome it is there but humboldt is the origin it's the center of it all and so i'm lucky that we got a spot here that we've been able to contribute to the community and hopefully maybe 20 years from now, when my kids graduated Arcata High School, I will feel that I've done enough service that I can actually take part in that legacy.
0: That commitment is important because it means that several hundred local jobs are safe, at least for now. Papa and Barkley's plan to stay in Humboldt County has a lot to do with why they moved here in the first place. Here again is co-founder and CEO, Guy Rocourt:
2: I was an L.A. grower and my interface with Humboldt back in the traditional market was around that October-November area, the flood would come down, lots of sun-grown cannabis. And I grew indoors because of a reason, right? Because we had to. But now that we don't have to, it's like, again, getting into that carbon footprint, it's like really growing indoors when we have the magic of the sun. And now we also have access to legit agricultural technology, mixed-use greenhouses. So. I always was aware of Humboldt, but when we started in my house in LA, Pop and Barkley started my house in one of our old grow houses in 2015. We came to Humboldt, one. I have to give respect to John O'Connor, who's on the Economic Planning Commission. He's a cousin of uh, my partner. He said, Hey, Humboldt is trying to figure out some spaces. And we're like, We're in a house. I don't want to be an outlaw, I want to raise some money, if somebody can give me some legit space where I don't have to worry about law enforcement, let's look at it. We came up here, of course, as you guys know, it's magical, enamored from day one, right? city, totally having the conversation. So yeah, we started thinking about it. Of course, when we first got here, we we're like, oh, well, we're going to have a grow because we want to make sure we, we secure the supply chain. But immediately I was like, that's offensive. There are all these people, generational growers that I've met, like literally whose grandparents were growing and holding the industry down. I'm like, why am I going to take this Wall Street money to build a big farm to push them out? Let's take this money and empower them. And so we stopped growing almost immediately, never got a cultivation license, and started working with local partner farms to support them and figure out how we could get this thing. I then started to get excited about this notion of terroir and Appalachian and how those works. And it occurred to me that the reason why sometimes you buy two buck chuck and sometimes you buy a $1,000 bottle of wine, region, who did it, the whole culture and legacy and story around the grape. Well, we have that in cannabis. We just need to elevate that and let consumers understand that, oh, wow, cannabis has all kinds of nuanced flavors and grows differently in different places and whatnot. And so, yeah, I became passionate about Humboldt from almost day one. I want to shout out Kelly Martin, who owns the building we're in now, owned the first building that we were going to. He was a little bit off on cannabis, as most folks are, because they conflate cannabis and unregulated behavior is the same. The fact is, cannabis has there's no issue there. Whenever something's not regulated, it allows nefarious characters to come in. Needless to say, he rented us a space. We started uh, working in cannabis here in Humboldt, and you know, I've ever since I've been committed to supporting the community. If you guys remember back in 2017, there were all these people that were quote unquote being pushed out and saying cannabis is pushing us off Main Street. I, t- I take those things seriously. So when we moved into our Second Street facility, we made sure we got food for people, another warehouse, and gave them a big check. The gentleman who owned the uh, furniture shop thought he was going to retire. Then he didn't want to retire. We found him another space in Arcata to make sure he could continue his business. So every place we've moved to, we've made sure to just also put the community first. When we got the Kmart, with the help of the city, moving the Coastal Commission, that you know those box stores throughout the nation are just empty, big blights you know, that would just fall to disrepair. So we were happy to take that 60,000 square feet and make it now a center. And we hope to use that parking lot for events this summer. You know, we added a restaurant and a dispensary. And like politicians always say, it's all about job creation. You know, we've been able to create several hundreds of jobs in the community. And so really happy about that.
1: It all makes sense when you consider that Pop and Barclay's origin story has a humble ring to it. It's all about wellness and one person trying to help another and turning to an ancient plant for the answer.
2: When I started with the company, I was chief product officer. Uh, so with my co-founders, we set out to have what we call the first cannabis conversation. Pop and Barclay's origin story is true. Uh, my partner, Adam Grossman, his dad was on hospice. They were like, if he doesn't get off hospice, he's pro- likely going to pass away. Out of desperation, Adam took inhalable grade flowers from his normal uh, connection, soaked it in uh, coconut oil, rubbed that on his dad's back. Sure enough, his dad got out of hospice, lived two, several years enough to see Pop and Barkley be launched. And so we knew we had something there. I had already been working in this space for decades. I'd already started a compliant business in Colorado. And like most young uh, entrepreneurs, as soon as the veil was lifted, all I wanted was all these kinds of toys to over-refine cannabis. I was blessed to meet Adam to realize, oh wait, what got us here is plant medicine. And so at the core of Pop and Barkley, everything is clean, solventless, tox-free. Solventless is a word we use in cannabis to say that the cannabis is extracted cleanly, but we take that a step further to make sure that there are no chemicals, no artificial flavors, artificial colors, artificial anything in any of our products across all the product suite. That's the core value of Pop and Barkley. Over time... We then realized, okay, we're in this wellness sector, we're growing it, which believe it or not, even though cannabis was in dispensaries, the wellness sector really wasn't that big in the traditional market. We had a lot of flour, that kind of some edibles, but not a lot of topicals, not a lot of capsules. Those things do take compliant infrastructure to make mm-hmm. properly, so we were happy to make them. And so we started with the capsules, the patches, the tinctures. But then I wanted folks to understand that at our heart, we are cannabis folks and we understand what quality cannabis is. So we jumped to what we call the last conversation with our sub-brand called Papa Select and proceeded to win awards making solventless ice water hash, right? So six-star hash. For those folks who don't know, when you look at the cannabis plant under a microscope, it has these little trichomes, which are typical of a plant to protect itself, but those trichome glands, that's where all the medicine is. And it acts similar to a fruit. It grows on the trichome stalk, you have this globulous mass. If you shake the cannabis plant, all the ripe fruits fall off. That is what we do. We're not looking to over refine, over extract. At Pop and Barkley, when we create these products, if we don't refine it and we only use ice water to get our extract, that means the farmer also has to do the right thing because unlike any other product, we have a flower that is exposed to the environment and so atmospheric particulate, all this kind of stuff, and never mind foliar sprays, would show up in our extract. Furthermore, cannabis, as you guys know, is a bioremediator or land remediator and would suck everything out of the soil so the farmer has to do their job that's the true promise of solventless recently we filled in between our first and our last conversation p&b kitchen which is uh, gourmet edibles so chocolates and gummies with all kinds of interesting flavors like lychee and pineapple ginger and caramel filled bites all of them now under our ampersand which is our logo are all solventless, all chemical free, all tox free. You know, we created the only true stain specific gummy that only has rosin, the actual extract driving the flavor and the taste, nothing else. And so Pop and Barkley, yeah, we rolled out these products by design. One having that first conversation, being able to meet, like even here in Eureka, able to meet regulators where they are. They don't want to necessarily touch cannabis. They're very reticent, 100 years of demonization when you give somebody a topical you're like look it's not psychoactive rub this on your joints see what happens well typically they're like oh that works there's something here then you're like hey look try this CBD in the evening might at most make you a little sleepy but it'll it'll improve your quality of sleep and over time if you take it like an analgesic it will lower systemic inflammation in your body and you'll just feel better. Anybody over 40 feels that. So we start sharing these products with folks and all of a sudden it's like, oh wait, there is some benefit to this and that's like that crack in the armor that allowed us to have that first conversation here in the city. And kudos to the city of Eureka for starting to regulate well before Proposition 64. They were offering conditional use licenses in the town to try to get their hand around this medical market. So we started early with that first conversation and have been continuing to support the community
0: who do you see as your competition at this point
2: no one and i say that without ego unfortunately with this compliant thing we saw a race to the bottom where most folks are over refining cannabis and are still in a scarcity mindset i understand that prohibition caused us to have a scarcity mindset i've smoked roaches i've scraped bulls i get it when you don't know where your next cannabis is coming from it's sacred but we are overgrown we've seen. Other states like Oregon get overgrown. Abundance is coming to our way. So when we walk into any other CPG type facility, alcohol, fashion, whatever, we don't say, Give me the strongest because we're not thinking about scarcity. We have safe access to those things. Now that we have safe safe access to cannabis, it's important that consumers start to demand true premium quality and understand how the product comes from. When I say nobody's our competition, there are not players in the game that have committed themselves to clean, tox-free cannabis, right? I take exception with some dispensaries, because by definition, the word dispensary suggests a wellness center. In fact, some of them call themselves wellness, but allow products that contain high fructose corn syrup, contain preservatives, contain unnatural flavors, and that's not what we advocated for, that's not what folks are in jail for, that's not what other advocates who have passed on wanted this industry to be. We have an opportunity to create clean, tox-free medicine, and more importantly, as abundance comes, those prices should also be in line. You don't have to get 20% extraction rate to get distillate to create products. So while there are some folks that understand that and are creating great solventless products, I think Pop and Barkley is the only true suite of products that touches all categories in this clean, all-natural fashion
1: building on on what you've said and you know in your website and in, in a lot of your marketing materials there clearly is a a sort of philosophy overall philosophy uh, wrapped up in this wellness idea and in creating these you know tox free products I, is there any tension between having these values and this integrity and also building out a national company? Yeah,
2: 100%. And, uh, you know, right now there's a lot of tension in the cannabis industry between what some people refer to as corporate cannabis and what others refer to as legacy cannabis. And Pop and Barkley's been very good at raising some of that traditional quote-unquote Wall Street money while keeping our legacy values, right? And that is super important. And there is a lot of pressure to keep our integrity. But what I keep telling our board members is, you can't buy back integrity. You can always make more money, right? So our quality values have, I'm blessed to keep them intact and look forward to keeping them intact because I believe that cannabis is part of a larger, greener movement. That vibe that you feel on our website is exactly that. And it has nothing to do with politics or partisan. It's straightforward thinking. When you come to buy my products, if corporations are gonna be citizens, We need to be good citizens. I need you, when you look at my product, to understand that I was thinking about my overall carbon footprint. So where does my packaging come from? What does it really cost when it's on the sea from China? Would it be better to get it domestic? How recyclable is it? How does sustainability interface with aesthetics? Of course, we want products that jump out and call to the consumer, but... I also want them to be sustainable and recyclable, and sometimes they're not mutually exclusive, but I believe that cannabis consumers have a greener mindset, and if I can communicate to them, my package looks like this because it's also recyclable. I don't have any shiny inks because those are toxic. I don't use any solvents, not only because I believe it's the right thing to do, but our industry is gonna be as large as tobacco and alcohol, and if we then start to put in requests for more butane, more alcohol, well, that means more of that needs to be created. There is a carbon footprint associated with that. We live in a world now where Mother Nature can no longer pay. And so we need to take that cost up. Otherwise, what's the point? We all, most of us, most of us work for our legacy, for our children to keep the world moving. And now we understand that there are fundamental problems, right? I think that cannabis, uh, when we think about over-refining cannabis, well, most things in the CPG are already natural. When I grew up, we had white sugar and Wonder Bread. Now, you wouldn't think about that at all. You go to a restaurant, you expect raw sugar. You expect seven-grain bread options, okay? We understand these natural things. Why would cannabis go all the way to Dislit to fight back for craft? When I think about alcohol prohibition, it takes years for the American palate to come back. Some people say we only are now producing quality beer and wine. So why would we do the same thing to cannabis and wait 50 60 years to rediscover craft when we already have it especially right here in humble
1: next with a few exceptions it would be cheaper for a company like pop and barclay to source cannabis for their products from somewhere else but gee rejects that and responds by playing the premium quality card we'll get to that part of our discussion next you're listening to the humble chronicles back in a moment
0: Welcome back to the Humboldt Chronicles. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Guy Rocourt. He's co-founder and CEO of Papa and Barkley.
1: Cost of doing business is a major concern for any operation in any line of work. And there's no doubt that California is among the most expensive states in which to set up shop. We ask Guy about that. You could obviously source less expensive cannabis. You could get it from somewhere else. You could go down to the, the mega producers and get it. And probably achieve the percentages that you need to for your products do you think that your products are better because you're sourcing your cannabis here and it's grown in this craft grown way yeah so i'll
2: give you the honest answer the the, the answer is yes there are certain product lines that need premium cannabis in its source here so papa select is an important example of that our papa select line that you know, we just don't win first place. We win first, second, and third place in blind contests, definitively the best hash in California. That only comes from Humboldt Products, and we call out the farmer, just like wine. It's like you got to know where the grapes came from, who processed the grapes, and what that all end result is. However, we have just released a sessions line because of pricing pressure, and some of that is sourced out of the county. But we make it clear that it's a separate tier right luckily for most of our other products we still source that locally because a lot of those are you know smalls and trim and don't require whole flour for us to just you know keef press that into rosin to make our edibles and our topicals and stuff right so we can still source that here locally but the fresh frozen stuff it is true that we've started to look elsewhere because it is cheaper but there's tremendous pricing pressure however The way we decided to address it was have a sub line where we're like, yeah, that cannabis comes from somewhere else. But if you want to pay twice as much, $80 a gram for our award-willing select line, that's when you get Humboldt cannabis. That's when you see the Humboldt farmer and understand the quality and the value you're buying. Because, again, we are trying to push up the appellation and say, if it comes from Humboldt, by definition, it's better and therefore more expensive.
0: When we talked with you in 2019, we talked a lot about the small farmers. I think we have a, a clip of what you said. Let's listen to that
2: we need to protect small farmers right now because if not, cannabis is just going to be commoditized, right? Here we need to take it to the next level and be a little bit more boutique, but we have to protect those small farmers because if we don't price wise, they can get priced out, you know, they could easily get outgrown. And that's, we've seen that happen in other agricultural communities. And I don't know how to solve it, but it's definitely on our radar.
0: Given that, how do you see the current situation for cultivators?
2: Yeah. So it, it, unfortunately it has not changed right now. In Humboldt, we have the opportunity to grow, let's use the analogy, heirloom tomatoes. Yes, there are super farms that are growing all kinds of tomatoes and all kinds of packaged ketchup in other places in the state, but we are growing heirloom. and all that is needed is that the consumer understand that education. We see consumers spend more. You may not get heirloom tomatoes every time, but if your mother-in-law is coming over, you might get those special tomatoes. You might get olive oil is another key. You might spend $17 for a liter of awesome, like, virgin cold-pressed olive oil, but then sometimes you might have the gallon for the same amount that you use for other things, right? It's all about that kind of, like, storytelling and understanding of the the consumer understanding what quality is. And we're, we're trying to do that, and right? It's happening. I should say, even since the last time we spoke, we now see customers understanding a little bit more about cannabis, wanting to buy into the different stories, right? Wanting to understand where good cannabis comes from, the culture, the heritage of that strain, that farm. It's happening. It's slower than I would like, but it's happening.
0: Are there changes that you would hope for or advocate for by the state of California that would not only help your business, but also small farmers, are there things that still need to be done? And what's on that list?
2: Well, there are things that are happening. And this, you know, this summer is make or break, right? So, you know, if you've been following along, you know, there's an outcry from the industry that we're we're under pressure. Some would say dying. And the governor has come out and started to say some things. So, yeah, a couple of bills that are up right now or concepts that are up are this notion of a pushing off the cultivation tax completely Mm -hmm. that would help farmers there's also a notion of pushing off the excise tax and only having it be at the retail level which would be awesome because we are triply taxed in the industry by the time you the effective tax rate is about 70 percent and it's kind of crazy if we could abate that and just have it be an 18 percent tax at the register freeing up the cultivation tax freeing up the excise tax yeah It would be and the irony here is this is economics 101 you lower the tax rate the industry grows the everybody makes more money including the state the only reason why it hasn't been done yet is cannabis shame if you think about the last big industry to truly blow up would be our uh internet and and, uh digital technology Right now, if you wanted to start a digital company, there's likely tax incentives and breaks where you pay no taxes for the first five and 10 years because they're desperate to grow that. Why not us? Why, why weren't we incubated like that? Well, we know the answer, and I'm not looking for a sorry or an apology. I just want to move forward with truth. The fact is, our industry is growing. The people have voted. They voted with their dollars, and now it's the time for Sacramento to supply basic economic sense to us. So yes, I believe the governor is going to do something on tax reform, that's the first thing. I also think that he's going to push counties that have not allowed cannabis sales to to reform because in Proposition 64, there's a line that says that if a county bans, it has to be by vote. But what we have is some reticent, stuck in the mud type regulators that are not listening to their constituents and unilaterally banning cannabis from their communities. That can't stand. If a community wants to ban cannabis in in the state, they should at least put it to a vote of their constituents. What I hope the government does is says the prevailing rule, barring a vote, a collective vote of citizens, is that cannabis is allowed throughout California, right? Because now we don't have safe access in certain communities. It allows the traditional market to continue to grow. And while I have respect for the traditional market, it brings a lot of bad actors into play, and that needs to stop.
1: And this is a question that I always have in my mind, and it's hard to get people to talk about it for, you know, legitimate and obvious reasons. But, I mean, some people estimate the size of the non-regulated market at 75%. I mean, if that's true, I just can't see how the regulated producers can survive. Yep.
2: And that's what ta- that's exactly it. it. They're not surviving. So, one, we have less dispensaries now than we did in the traditional market right the unregulated folks are still producing they're still dispensing cannabis and the majority of folks in california were getting cannabis i think that the the miss here from regulators is this notion that cannabis wasn't already totally saturated in our communities like we weren't getting it and there wasn't access and again that simple notion we should have learned this with alcohol right you don't get al capone with legal alcohol you just don't right and that's such a like, such an in-your-face lesson, and we are literally making the same mistake again. It just is just that simple. And, the, and even in, so my father-in-law is the best Ukrainian dude, love him. And in Canada, you know, they have almost a 30% tax on alcohol, right, through their state stores. And so a lot of him and his friends, they brew their own hooch, they brew their own uh, whiskey. And so of course, when I first meet him, I'm already a little bit of an outlaw. I'm courting his daughter and whatnot. And sure enough, in his like gigantic aircraft shed, Stash in every corner are random gallons of like his homemade apple hooch, you know, but why? Because at that tax rate, that's like that break point where it's like, eh, you know, I could just make some and share it with my friends and save that money instead of going to the state package store, right? So we know what happens when things are overtaxed. They start to entreat people to do it themselves. And at an almost effective 70% tax rate, yeah, it's a lot better or a lot easier for folks to have a side hustle, if you will, or for the traditional market that was already entrenched here to continue to thrive. These are basic facts that educated people that allegedly are in public service should be able to see and eliminate. The only reason why they're not, 100 years of demonization, having intrinsic bias about cannabis, which allows them to look at facts and just not see them. That's, that, to me, that can be the only answer.
0: Papa and Barkley is, like most others, looking at a very complex business landscape all across the United States. Some states have legalized, some have not, and probably won't. What impact does that have on the company's decision making? Add to that, the prospect of federal legalization and how that would unfold. We'll ask Guy about it all next. Back with more Humboldt Chronicles right after this. Welcome back and thank you very much for listening to the Humboldt Chronicles. In our final segment for this episode, we continue our discussion with Guy Rocord. He's co-founder and CEO of Papa and Barclay.
1: The cannabis industry is still a work in progress, and as such, the path forward is not completely clear. Different states have differing views on it, and the federal government keeps hinting at nationwide legalization, but that still hasn't happened. We asked Guy how his company navigates these waters. And as far as the THC products from your website, they're available exclusively in California. I think there was one place in D.C. where you could get it. Is the reason why you haven't rolled out to other legal markets, just because you'd have to replicate manufacturing in each place
2: yeah yeah so that part we don't want to do that again even though it's been a blessing to build some almost 80,000 square feet here in the city of Eureka I don't really want to have to do that it's also just not good business like what you know it's like come on like I could produce everything here and even now we're fighting for this notion of cohabitation of our national CBD products and our California products so for those who don't know it's not legal for me to create those great national CBD products in my THC factory. There's a bill up this summer that might allow us to do that. What does that mean for the community? It means literally another 150 jobs. I could level up, and those jobs that I outsource to co-manufacturers in Colorado would now be brought here, right? It's very important to us. Of course, it's a good business thing. But, yeah, preventing us with the THC products to go to the, into other compliant markets would mean recreating that. The other option is to meet partners, But most of our partners in those other states where it's not as competitive as California thought that, oh, I'll buy this CO2 apparatus and it'll give me a higher barrier of entry. No. And they don't do solventless. They don't understand solventless. They don't think solventless can be scaled. And so I haven't found that partner that's already deployed with the same values, quality values that we have. It's changing. We do have, I actually spoke to a guy in Canada, Alberta of all places, they do mixed light Two seat, two two runs a year, and everything they do is solventless. I was like, you had me at outdoor in, in Canada <laughs> because <laughs> thank you, right? Um, so you know, I think that we will start to find other partners that are building out solventless operations that share more of our values, right? But without, I, I don't say this in a disparaging way. I think it's just ignorance and a hundred years of demonization. Most of the other states don't have the cultural heritage that started here up in NorCal that permeates our entire state. They don't have that. And so while kudos to them for starting good medical programs and adult use programs, that heritage of quality products of good cannabis science is still a little bit lost on them, I think. Again, no offense to some of those providers.
1: When we talked to you last time, then as now, it seemed like maybe national legalization is just down the road, and we asked you a question about that, and this is uh, what you said.
2: We have this artificial federal restriction. When that does drop, we would build more facilities here in the county, if not in the city of Eureka, to do our national expansion. If I had to visualize a dream, there would be a Made in Humboldt sign on our products. So
1: I guess my, my question to you is that is that still your mindset?
2: Yeah, 100%. 100%. That's so awesome. Thank you for playing that. Um, yeah, no, and we remain on track. While the feds continue to waffle and just be disastrous, we have not gone multi-state yet primarily because our primary ingredient is TLC, and not a lot of people stock that, apparently. Um, And a lot around the nation, as these partners want to partner with us or these folks want to partner with us, they don't do solventless, they don't understand the true value, and they're not willing to take the extra step. But we are looking at how to go multi-state. But if it was up to me, the feds would deschedule, and we would start to engage in interstate commerce. I believe the Pacific Northwest... And California, just like we grow most of the food and agricultural commodities, really should grow a lot of cannabis. There's no need for indoor super grows in Nevada, in Arizona, in states that just don't really grow things. They're just using all this electricity for what? Okay? Now, I get it that there are stakeholders there that have invested hundreds of millions. Same thing with the Canadians. We should be shipping them again. But it's not here now, but my dream... Is at our Kmart location. We already have it sketched out. Shout out to Garrett, who's our, our local architect here. On that property, we could build another 100,000 square foot facility that would allow us to seal off that parking lot, put a gatehouse and build another building and literally have enough square footage where we could supply the nation with all our products, right? And possibly even have a small manufacturing footprint just for local humble farmers. Uh, I have this idea of like this notion of like hippopa's co-op where we highlight just the farms and give them an opportunity to go directly to all the retailers through our vehicle, right? Again, just making sure that these farmers are incentivized to grow that next awesome strain of cannabis. But, yeah, the dream is still alive, you know, and, it, it, and, and I don't think it's going anywhere. It's just now, can I be patient? Can I structure my licensing deals in other states to make sure that when the time is right, I can fall back here? And uh, our former chief operating officer, Boris Sharansky, said that we want Humboldt to be like our Hershey, Pennsylvania, and that is still very true.
0: Well, that segues really well into what I was going to ask next, and that is regarding Humboldt County. The last time we spoke with you three years ago, uh, you mentioned that Humboldt deserves to benefit, reap the benefits from cannabis for a lot of reasons. And uh, toward that end, you were talking about the fact that you wanted to source everything and manufacture everything right here. let us uh, I think we can listen to some of that.
2: This community deserves to reap the benefits of cannabis it's just that simple and when you go to napa when you go to sonoma and you see what wine country is like you just see the slightly better schools slightly better roads slightly more affluent communities that needs to come here those tax dollars need to come here there's a lot of revenue that's been generated here that just hasn't made its way to the community right and so it's very important for us at pop and barclay to to bring that
0: so first of all where we are now in 2022 Is Humboldt County reaping the benefits the way you had envisioned? And also, cultivators, how are they going to compete in California where it's more expensive to do business uh, as opposed to, say, someplace like Oklahoma?
2: Yeah, so we're not reaping the benefits. And I think part of the reason is there's no teamwork. And as you guys know, teamwork makes the dream work. And what we need for, from first at the county level, is a little bit more embracing of the reality of cannabis and the reality of what's gone on in the county, right? The fact is, whether we like it or not, Humboldt is a weed center. It has been for so long. Cannabis has grown and thrived here. And the liberal mindset, the, you know, libertarian, really, mindset, free-thinking mindset of many of the community members here have force them to continue to push back and say, no, we need cannabis. We want to grow this cannabis. It grows well here. But what we need is county legislators say, hey, this has always been part of our culture. This is a sustainable crop that might bring economic revival to the area. They don't really think like that because if they did, then we would start to see legislating around Appalachian, around terroir, around making this special, around maybe some dollars for cannabis tourism. By doing that, the county would just reap those that low-hanging fruit, right? Just embracing cannabis is a benefit. I think the farmers would benefit from the appellation because the only way the farmers are going to compete is if we make Humboldt special, right? If I grow grapes in Los Angeles and make a wine, I'm going to have a big hard time trying to show the value of that. If I get a plot of land in Napa, by definition my wine now all of a sudden's a little bit better, right? Humboldt needs to be that place for cannabis, right? So while the super grows of Lake County and Santa Barbara County are awesome and they have all this huge canopy and that's great, that's commercial cannabis and there's a place for that. We need to grow the special good good here in Humboldt. It's our right. The farmers of Humboldt are not jumping on the cannabis bandwagon. They are the cannabis bandwagon and The county needs to embrace them and say, hey, we respect what you've done. Let's let the past be the past, and let's move forward together and quite literally get that money.
0: (laughs) So you still see a lot of value in the Humboldt brand, even in a federally legalized, nationwide competitive market.
2: It's the truth. It's like, again— Some others might be jumping on this cannabis bandwagon, but real advocates, real people who sacrifice to keep this going, to keep the nation supplied with cannabis over these decades of prohibition are right here. And yes, I feel they are owed. And I don't even include myself in that. I'm just a humble facilitator that's been able to just take some money, have a, a little footprint here to help elevate. I only want to support, because I don't even believe I'm in that. But I do know farmers who, when they were kids, they would see the camp helicopters, right? And even after that trauma, that real PTSD, hiding in the woods, seeing your parents carted off, still had the wherewithal to come back and keep farming, keep pushing the agenda. That's how we got to legalization. So all these people nationwide that are benefiting off of cannabis being legal are benefiting from
0: their efforts. And yeah,
2: I think that it is special. Like, that's not, that's, I believe that to be fact.
0: So Larry, even if federal legalization happens, Guy Rokort says that Papa and Barkley plans to continue to stay in Humboldt County. And he seemed genuine about that. I think that that's really is their plan for now. And actually, there are some benefits to having a company that size and that powerful in the industry located here, right?
1: Well, for sure, especially if they're continuing to pursue the, you know, the kind of craft, cannabis for their uh, their select brand. I mean, one of the things that that is really beneficial to Humboldt County farmers of having an operator like Parpa and Barkley here, is that they have contracts with many cultivators, some of whom we talked to on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and those arrangements work differently than a lot of arrangements in the cannabis industry in the sense that they're done on a contractual basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some money up front uh, To the cultivator and the cultivator knows that as long as they hold up their end of the of the bargain as long as they produce what they contracted to produce they're gonna get paid and they know how much they're gonna get paid and they know when they're gonna get paid it's different than the situation of you know giving your 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 harvest to a, a distributor and then finding out six eight months later well we couldn't sell it and they just drop off the weed back on your on your doorstep
0: that's like consignment
1: yeah yeah. So, in, in, in a lot of ways, that kind of arrangement is really beneficial yeah. To, yeah. To, to, to local farmers. And, you know, w- the other thing that I took away, well, one of the other things I took away from this was I fed off a little bit of his own optimism uh, because there's so many problems and, there, you know, the, the future or the present isn't work, working out the way that maybe people thought it would mm-hmm. four or five years ago. And to hear somebody who is so enthusiastic about, Uh, Humboldt County Craft Cannabis and Sun Grown, especially, Uh, I don't know, it it made me feel a little bit better.
0: I was glad to talk to I had the same reaction there. I I like his optimism. Um, He's an optimistic person by nature. I mean, this is not the first time we've talked with him. A really good guy, optimistic by nature. He really does have a lot of enthusiasm, it seems, for outdoor Sun Grown, which is what this area so far has been all about. So that's good. Um, I don't know if I share
1: that. It's it's hard to know. I mean, one one thing, one aspect of it that he pointed out that I hadn't really focused on too much in the past is uh, you know, as environmental consciousness increas- increases, the idea of growing it in the sun rather than you know electric lights, mm-hmm. you know, that may make a difference. I think it's you know, it comes back to something that we talk about. Uh, time and time again and that is uh, consumer education. Yeah. You know I think that there's there's always going to be at least two markets. There's going to be the person that's just shopping for price mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's how they make their decision. And there's going to be people who will spend a little bit more to get something that's 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 better that they like better that you know that meshes more with their values or their tastes or whatever it is. And and hopefully there'll be enough of these the second category of buyers. Yeah. Uh, to keep Humboldt in business.
0: Well, that's where Gee seems to be right now. He's seeming to think that there is going to be that market that you're talking about for outdoor, sun-grown, Humboldt quality product. And uh, he's convinced that there will be that market that exists there.
1: I'd say fingers crossed, but maybe crossing fingers isn't the best strategy.
0: Well, we can hope that he's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask. This edition of the Humboldt Chronicles will be posted soon at 941lounge.com, lostcoastoutpost.com, and at iTunes for listening and downloading. Thanks to our guest, Guy Rocort, co-founder and CEO of Papa and Barkley, And we send much appreciation to our sponsors, Goat Global Humboldt, Humboldt Urban Market, and Mocha Humboldt. We'll be back with the Humboldt Chronicles at 6 p.m. on the third Wednesday of June. So we'll see you next time, June 15th at 6 p.m.